This is Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin by Star Bridget, part two of the Mirror of Isidaru series. Chapter seven, The Stones of Hogwarts. It was only when Draco made it back to his bed and spelled himself safely inside that he remembered he wasn't actually guilty. Not in the way he had made himself look, the way that people might think on seeing him flee from the scene if the strain of suspicion against Potter didn't start up as promptly as last time. He was guilty of failure, of having known what would happen, of thinking he had fixed it, and yet seeing those words on the wall unaltered, and he could not forget how he had once rejoiced at them. The fear coursed through his body, like waves of a curse thrown upon him, but only from his own mind. The visions of what was to come, of Hermione petrified or worse, and if he lost her, he deserved it. Because the first time when he'd heard in the blue loop, he'd been so pleased, he'd laughed. So if he lost her, if it had been anyone else, even Dumbledore, charged with the destruction of the diary, Draco would have questioned it. But it had been Severus. To question Severus was to have nothing in the world to believe in, since Salazar knew Draco's belief in himself had been petrified as much as that ugly cat. Had he been wrong all along to connect the chamber to that diary, just because of the chain that took it from the manor to Ginny Weasley? He didn't want to hear the others, so he used his wand to muffle any sounds from outside as well. If the professors were sending for him, either because they thought him the culprit, or just rightly suspected he knew more than he would tell, well... They would have to do it themselves. He imagined them trying to reverse his locking spells or blasting their way in by brute force and welcomed it. He could sleep very little, with his brain turning to speculate again and again what Potter must have thought, watching Draco run away from him. He rose later than he should have, without sounds from outside to wake him. It made his entrance to breakfast a grand one, and the great hall as one turned their heads to stare, as relatively normal-sounding chatter faded to furtive whispers. They began again quickly enough that he thought himself merely one possibility among many, rather than completely convicted in the court of public opinion. But there were so many eyes on him, trying to figure him out. He hunched over his plate and began to shovel food into his face at the maximum pace, resolving not to take a single meal more in the great hall if this scrutiny endured much longer, and let that make him look guiltier. He could rationalise taking his meals in the kitchen, with the house elves as monitoring for Dobby, though any rational part of him said it had been so long he should just accept Dobby wasn't coming. How did you do it? Blaze whispered, at the same time as Pansy whispered. Why, Filch? Was it his cat? Is it because of that rumour he's a squib? At the same time, Theo leaned to his ear to whisper, You are the heir of Slytherin, right? It wasn't me! Say one thing about the infamous policy about tongues that spoke ill of Draco Malfoy. It did keep most people from maligning him to his face, but it didn't help if it was people like his fellow Slytherins who thought their suspicions a compliment. Ander did nothing to stop the speculative stares that followed him. He didn't know why he bothered even making brief checks of the library, 
when he should have known he wouldn't run into the Gryffindors at their table. The fact that everyone knew he sat there meant they knew where to gawk at the potential feline slayer. He was just surprised Filch hadn't confronted him about it. From what he heard, Filch kept it fresh in everyone's minds by pacing the spot where she had been attacked, as though the attacker might come back, and scrubbing at the message on the wall with Mrs Scour's all-purpose magical mess remover. It had no effect on the words, as one furtive trip past them showed Draco. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened, screamed its smug declaration out as the same lash of failure, the same promise of disaster to come. His attempt to change the blue loop had just rendered the red line more difficult, if not impossible, to predict now. But Draco didn't lay eyes on Filch. Either he didn't suspect Draco as much as others, or he just didn't dare face a second year. Draco didn't last long in the library. He spent an hour after classes with the house elves in the kitchen, writing his history of magic essay with the background chatter of the elves at work a faint comfort. Quidditch practice was more stilted than usual, but the team had never been overly friendly towards him to begin with. He stayed out on the Quidditch pitch after, sitting under the bleachers, first finishing a book on occlumency, and then aimlessly practising spells, while he tried and failed to think of a way to explain how this could have happened the same as the Blue Loop, other than the most obvious explanations. Severus was lying about destroying it. Severus had unknowingly failed to destroy it. Draco had been wrong to identify the diary as the fatal one from that case at Malfoy Manor. Or the diary was not what was really behind the chamber, or at least not essential to its opening. He preferred the latter two to the former. His own incompetence was more plausible than Severus's corruption, and far more so than Severus's incompetence. He imagined Severus as the culprit prompted by the diary to exact that hunting plan it would assign no matter its owner, and almost had to laugh at the image of Severus with his billowing black robes bearing down like a shrieking raven on Mrs Norris. But again... His unshakable faith in Severus's competence found it hard to believe that Severus would have petrified and not just killed that piece of living taxidermy. It took a long time flying for him to realise how late it got, and that Ron wasn't coming. It was all too easy to avoid the Gryffindors now that he wasn't attending meals anymore, though Draco was hardly sure who was avoiding who. He didn't think they could suspect him as the perpetrator, or at least Hermione couldn't. But they might well have gleaned some inkling of his privileged knowledge of the situation, and his failure to let them in on it, or put a stop to it. He'd had too much faith in them. The second he saw them in potions that Wednesday, he knew. The note he charmed to go flying to Hermione during the brewing process was intercepted by Severus, who did not read it aloud as he would have for any other student. He just turned to give Draco a look that showed no little repulsion at its contents. Hermione, please meet me after class today. Bring the blunderbusses if you must. I need to explain. Perhaps it was offensive to Severus to see Draco reaching out to the Gryffindors about the chamber before Severus himself. But Severus was harder to fool. And besides, some awful part of Draco 
had to doubt whether Severus had, willingly or unwillingly, not destroyed the diary after all. If only he had been brave enough to stay and watch the liquid fiend fire. Draco went to the Owlery to send a message to the Gryffindors for that night at dinner instead. He asked to meet him right after dinner in the trophy room, and hoped they would not take it as any kind of challenge to a duel. If so, he would regret the chance not to enlist his natural second for a duel, Neville Longbottom. It was no good. He was so nervous as he waited for them, he couldn't even make himself laugh. Door opened, and the sight of Potter made his heart lighten, only to sink when it was only Potter. Where are Ron and Hermione? he blurted. Hardly the question best calculated to gain Potter's favour, but he couldn't help it. Hermione has reading to do, Potter said in a less hostile tone than Draco might have feared. And Ron's helping. She hasn't stopped researching since Halloween. Funny, I haven't seen her in the library, Draco muttered. We haven't seen you in there either, Potter said, which, fair point. Somehow he doubted Potter would be sympathetic to the argument that Draco got uncomfortable being stared at, given that Potter got stared at all the time simply for breathing. What has she been researching? Draco asked instead. He could have slapped himself for asking unnecessary questions, like some uninspired Harry Potter impression, when he got the obvious answer. The Chamber of Secrets, which she thinks is real. Yeah, probably is. So, what did she find? Draco asked, and Potter shrugged, finally entering the trophy room, only to stalk more of a circle around Draco than head towards him. Mostly what Professor Binns told us, Potter said, roaming around the trophies with a distant air. An old legend about Salazar Slytherin. He left the school, leaving a chamber of secrets behind with a monster inside which his true heir could open to purge the school of the unworthy. She got him to talk about it in History of Magic, though he said the chamber isn't real, even though your ancestors probably would have. Wait, what do you mean, my ancestor? Potter finally stopped pacing, leaning against a large Slytherin house cup and crossing his arms over his chest. Draco, everyone in the school heard. Your father was yelling in that howler about how you'd brought disgrace on the blood of Slytherin. What? People actually? The amount of suspicion he had been receiving made an awful lot more sense. It isn't true, Potter. Ask Hermione. She looked at the portraits at the manor this summer. My father just likes to say that because it gives him more cachet with other pure-blood families. But it's all made up. All of our circle have tried to claim that some time or other over the years. But I don't have Slytherin's blood, Potter. I'm not his heir. And after dinner, we were going to meet up with you. Potter interrupted, arms tightening where they crossed against his body like a shield against Draco. And Draco realised, he's afraid of me. And we walked past the writing on the wall, and we saw spiders climbing up towards the ceiling. When we followed it, it led to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, so we asked her if she'd seen anything. And she told us she hadn't because she'd been talking to you. 
She didn't remember your name exactly, but that pretty blonde boy in the silver furs. Like you were trying to distract her, or maybe we should have told the teachers about you and that ghost, but we didn't want to do that to you. Potter? Draco said slowly, throat constricting. You can't really honestly think I could. Draco, why were you talking to that ghost girl? And why did you run away that night? There was no sane way to answer the first question, and not much of a better one to answer the second. Potter, I know it looks suspicious, but there's people saying they think it's you too, aren't they? Potter nodded. If they knew what the Chamber of Secrets was, they wouldn't suspect either of us because we wouldn't put Hermione at risk. I wouldn't. Listen to me, Potter. I know I've never been half-decent to you, but Hermione... Hermione? Potter frowned. Draco once again feared for the survival of the wizarding world if its fate lay in the hands of blundering, clueless fools like Potter. Or worse, Draco himself. Did Bins not explain this to you? Draco asked impatiently. Because she's muggle-born, and that's who Slytherin's monster would go after. So, if I had any power, I wouldn't be trying to open the chamber. I'd be doing everything to close it. Draco, you know how this looks, right? Potter groaned, rubbing at his eyes. Draco took a hesitant step towards him with raised hands, feeling like his body was made of some radioactive substance he had to keep away from Harry Potter. Really bad. Really bad. All that with the diary. You say it was destroyed, but by Snape. And you say you couldn't be the heir of Slytherin, but you were chosen by that wand. We're not saying you're doing it on purpose. But Hermione says that you can be used by dark forces without even knowing it's happening to you. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with that wand? Go ahead and accuse me, Potter, Draco said tiredly. You've been beating around it all along. Is that why it's just you? Did you tell them to stay behind for their safety? Only the boy who lived is mighty enough to face up against the Death Eater. He knew how bad it looked objectively, just like Potter said. How many gaps had been left by his origins in the blue line. Gaps he couldn't fill. And Potter was giving him the chance to fill them. And he would have tried. He would have told Potter everything if his tongue had only let him. I don't know what to think, Draco. None of us do. Not even Hermione. She keeps trying to come up with explanations for why you went off with that ghost right before it happened. Draco, why were you with Moaning Myrtle that night? Draco shrugged defensively. What was he supposed to say? I felt bad for her. It would be more believable if he claimed he'd wanted to test the viability of Langlock on ghosts. Draco, Harry said helplessly, waiting for an explanation that didn't come. If you would just tell us things, I'm sure we would understand, but you never do. No one in Slytherin fits this half as much. You do know that, don't you? You're just our age, but you're so powerful, it's like... It's like you're not really a second year sometimes. Like you're not who everyone thinks you are. I don't know how to explain it. I probably sound crazy. 
Draco raised his chin and stared Potter in the face, not ready to concede the truth of Potter's words by looking away. Even if the mouth that was saying them made it tempting to run away or cry or scream or try and press his own lips against it, as if that would prove anything of his innocence or guilt, anything to make Potter understand he was not what Potter thought, even if maybe what he was was worse. Draco was not the heir of Slytherin. You're powerful, Potter, Draco countered, staring at Potter's mouth. You're more powerful than me by far, so if that's the proof of who's tied to this, you're ahead of me on that. Maybe I am. I don't know, Potter said cagily. I told you. I was almost sorted into Slytherin, wasn't I? You had me in that uniform. Draco couldn't follow what dark places Potter's mind was taking him. Potter, drawled Draco, putting on his best expression of arrogant nonchalance. Are you trying to tell me you're the heir of Slytherin? I mean, I have heard you suspected around the castle, but of course I never thought. Although it is true you do have these lovely Slytherin-coloured eyes. And then came touch at the Slytherin green of his tie. My eyes are from my mother, Potter protested, the confrontation flaring with that mistake to something serious, and Draco finally had to look away. I didn't mean, I just meant, it was just a joke, I didn't think. Potter, I'm sorry, Draco mumbled, and Potter used the tie to force Draco's eyes back to his face. We want to think you're innocent. Potter sounded like he meant it. We haven't said anything to anyone, not even to Dumbledore about what Myrtle said, and nothing to anyone else about where I saw you in Nocturnally with your father, or whose your wand really is. We want to believe you had nothing to do with this. I want to. It's just hard when you avoid us and never tell us anything and act like it's all a joke. It's like you want us to think the worst of you. Draco opened his mouth and honestly tried to say, there are things I can't tell you because there's an enchantment on me. But his tongue wouldn't work any better at that than it ever had, and I am the last person you would talk to, aren't I? The last person in the whole world. Harry took a deep breath. Draco, maybe we should take your wand to Dumbledore again, to make sure it's not doing anything, that your father didn't do anything to you. Potter, Draco said, licking his dry lips, mind working sluggishly, almost as unprepared as his heart. I'm talking to you now. I'll swear to you on anything you want. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't open the chamber even if my father told me. I wouldn't betray Hermione like that. Potter, I wouldn't betray you. What if I was the heir of Slytherin, like you said? Potter asked slowly. Would you turn me in? Would you turn me in? Try to stop me? Or would you try and help me keep my secret? Would you betray me then? Draco didn't know which answer Potter wanted, so he found himself saying the truth. I wouldn't betray you. I'd protect 
protect you. I'll always protect you, as long as Hermione was safe. It must have been the wrong answer. Potter's eyes went wide in horror before he ran out of the trophy room without another word. Severus had third-year Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs first thing on Thursday mornings. Draco hardly had to waste a thought in his decision to skip History of Magic that morning and head to Severus's chambers. The wards let him in like always. He crossed into the rooms for the first time since he had seen the liquid fiendfire vial, only to find a wall where there had once been a fire. The carved fireplace that had once held charmed green fire, and then shielded red was now a blank, flat slab of stone, straight up and down, differentiated from the wall around it only by a slightly lighter colour to the patched mortar. The discrepancy would lessen in time. Draco rested his hand against the stone with his heart pounding, as much for the thought of fiendfire still lingering on the other side, as the prospect of Severus somehow catching him. But he couldn't feel any heat other than that of his own skin, so out came the wand that Potter found so damning to cast Defindo, and reflect that the practice spent carving turquoises by wand hand was coming to unexpected practical use, or it should have. But the spell barely seemed to make a dent in the stone, to the point Draco wondered if there were some kind of enchantments on it. Was there still a kernel of fiendfire, burning there for Severus to protect, and breaking the wall would unleash it onto the castle, with all of Severus's earthly possessions and godsons the first casualty? So be it. Bombarda! Draco called, remembering the way Umbridge had stood and called it out as she blasted in the door to the room of requirement. Not that it was an auspicious sign to be taking her as a role model. Bombarda! Again, the stone only seemed to slightly erode. No better results than the Defindo. She had used Bombarda Maxima, he remembered. So he tried that, only for a bit more dust to be dislodged. But ever since Potter had walked away from him, Draco had been operating less on thought and more on pure, slowly mounting rage, including, but not limited to, meditations on the ungratefulness of Gryffindors, which left room for little in his head but Potter. Bombarda Maxima! Draco cast, and closed his eyes for the next attempt, remembering attempt after attempt failing at the mirror of Erised. But, by definition, there could not be such old magic on this recalcitrant but ultimately vulnerable wall. He just had to loosen his control, the mental restraint he had worked over going on a year and a half now to keep this wand from blowing away anyone in the vicinity each time he tried to cast a simple spell. Stripping it down now was harder than he had thought, when once erecting the guards had been the easier part. He imagined a set of knots he had to untie to let something slide down off a rope, casting a bombarda maxima after each one of the set of seven until finally the rope was completely unblocked, and whatever dark mass of shadow had been held back was loosed. The visualisation was different, but the sensation of lowering shields was very much like that of his mental shields with occlumency, stabbing outwards with his mind and his magic as dual knives, until he could visualise instead the great outbreak of spark and shadow that had come from the wand the first time he touched it, and the other time in Ollivander's, 
he lost track of how many times he cast Bombarda Maxima, until the black dust was so thick before his eyes that if some of that same shadow had started to drift out of the Talon Wand, he would never have known. Bombarda Maxima! Draco screamed for what proved to be the final time. As the wall over the fireplace burst open, exploding just like the door to the Room of Requirement, and shards of stone and plaster came out flying at him. He tried to raise a shield, but he couldn't soon enough to keep from being hit in the face and knocked back. The taste of blood came to his mouth, head lolling with a dizzy feeling like he was falling from a great height, although he could still feel himself sat dumbly on the dungeon floor. And then he looked up and saw the man who had raised the only successful shield around him. I suppose, Severus intoned from above him, I should be pleased to find you trying to explode a wall and not writing upon one. Severus, Draco blurted, then hastily amended, Sir, I can explain. With a flick of his wand, the shield dissipated, leaving Draco sitting in a pile of rubble, with Severus a dark blur above him. And then, for a second time in almost the same spot, like on Draco's first day of Hogwarts, Severus was humming that healing song, kneeling before him and waving his wand over Draco's face with an episky afterwards to snap Draco's healed nose back into place. Turgio and a few more cleaning charms swept over Draco in quick succession, while he sat there stunned. Severus extracted the talon wand from Draco's hand and set it aside, before dragging him to the nearest armchair and setting him there. Wait, Severus commanded, and Draco was dazed enough he could barely think not to comply. Soon Severus was back, pressing an unstoppered potion vial into his hand. Drink he commanded, and the air in that room turned immediately sourer when Draco did not obey. Wide-eye potion, Severus snapped, which you will require, as you seem to have suffered a concussion, unless you would prefer to go to Madame Pomfrey. Draco looked at the vial, which was indeed labelled as such, and drank with an exhausted resignation to fate. The world cleared up after that, though he began to cough in turn, which Severus called a natural side effect of inhaling a prodigious amount of toxic dust. Toxic? Draco breathed, and Severus let out a mirthless snort. Not such an expert in fiend fire, it seems, Severus intoned. Come and see if you are able, Mr Malfoy. You might as well see what you were so desperate to uncover. Draco was coughing as he pulled himself to his feet, enough for Severus to deliver him additional vials of cough potion and blood-replenishing potion. No arguments. Draco took them before cautiously approaching the fireplace he had unveiled. It was virtually unrecognisable, all of its smooth carved surfaces gone obsidian black, in defiance of the shields Severus had put in place. The rune symbol, 
that had been beneath the grate had been burnt away to that obsidian sheen, with the grate gone entirely. That blackness went up to right below the edge of the flue, where a circular line cut off the burning as if the shield had done its work in keeping the conflagration within the fireplace only. But it might have been a close thing. If Severus had tried to fake the effects of some massive magical blaze in this space, he had done so exceptionally well. Why did you block it off? Draco asked. He risked Severus's displeasure by asking just about anything in the position he found himself. But Severus seemed ready to prove his own innocence. It was excruciating, Draco knew from such recent experience to be falsely suspected of something terrible, especially by someone whose trust you thought you should have already won. I was successful in extinguishing the blaze once it seemed to run its course, Severus informed him coolly, but by its activation the liquid seems to have infused itself even through the shields into the stone. Subsequent experiments proved that the smallest spark would be enough to reignite the fiend fire at full strength. I deemed it judicious to close off the affected stone to prevent any unwary or unwise visitors from making mistakes, but the diary was destroyed. I tell you that with full confidence, although I can see my credibility with you is somewhat marred. Sir, it's not that I didn't trust you, Draco blurted, feeling about as big as the dust at his feet. He let out a few more coughs, with the potions taking their time to be effective, and hoped he seemed sufficiently young and pathetic for Severus to forgive. It was just, I just had to be sure. And you were not. My word did not suffice for you, Mr Malfoy. Draco was just making it worse. I know you've never done anything to make me distrust you, sir. You're my godfather, and I believe you. I'm sorry. Draco didn't have to lie. It was becoming deadly clear how wrong he had been. He should have followed his instincts from the start to trust Severus. But after that talk with Potter, his mind had been so clouded. I just couldn't understand why this is happening with the Chamber of Secrets, when the diary should have. Interesting, Severus said, with enough ice in his voice to freeze fiendfire, that you are so convinced that the Chamber of Secrets is real, and that Miss Weasley's diary is connected to it. I heard things, Draco lied. Nothing definite, but I overheard things from my father. I told you the case and him passing it to her, and he let Hermione visit me over the summer. 
Severus's face at least changed then, from detachment to disgruntlement at this seeming non-sequitur. I thought at the time it was for our deal, Draco explained hastily. We made this deal that I would try out for the Quidditch team like he wanted, and he would let her come and let me stay in the muggle world with her family. I thought I'd make progress with him, and he didn't even try to punish me after I used Langlock on him. There was a blissful moment of thinking Severus might forgive him, after that mention made the corner of his mouth turn up. I thought he has changed, but he just thought Hermione would be gone soon anyway, didn't he? He's had the chamber open to target her to punish me. Vain boy. Severus sighed, going over to sink into his armchair with a grimace. It was disenchanting, the sight of those long-beloved armchairs without a fireplace to be set in front of, just furniture haphazardly adrift in an expanse of bleak, bare stone. In your mind, this is all about you. Such self-absorption. At this rate, you will be giving Potter a run for his money. I am his only child, Draco argued, holding his throat and staggering over to take the opposite armchair as if he had an unchanged right to it. His son and heir, and I can use Aunt Bella's wand. That means he thinks I'm powerful, valuable. I'm not easily discarded. But it wouldn't just be about me. There's been more raids on the manor. He hates the Weasleys. So if he had a way to target Mr Weasley's daughter too... Draco remembered, father seizing control of the school and throwing Dumbledore out. And he's on the school board. It would suit his purposes to disgrace the headmaster. A bloodless coup. It makes sense in every direction. How much of this is supposition, Mr Malfoy? Severus said silkily. And how much hearsay? He was watching Draco keenly now, to the point that Draco felt just as on trial as he had last night with Potter. At least, with Severus, he deserved his place in the docket. Some of both? Draco said shakily, and Severus handed him another cough potion. Take this if the cough persists or returns. Thank you, sir, Draco said, and Severus looked annoyed at his gratitude. Do not take it as a personal favour, Mr Malfoy. I am, if it failed to cross your mind, the head of Slytherin House, with a team due to play Gryffindor in less than two days' time whose seeker, as it seems, has taken it upon himself to burn himself alive with fiend fire sooner than have to face Mr. Potter. I'm sorry, Draco said again. He did not know if he had ever done this much apologising and meaning it in all his years in the Blue Loop, nor did it seem to be much help. Have you had your distrust satisfied, Mr Malfoy? Severus asked in dismissal, and Draco withered before him. 
please, sir, if you'd allow me, I want to help clean your rooms or repair the damages. That wall, Severus said faintly, was erected not just of stone, but powerful potions and enchantments. That you manage none the less to break it down is disappointing, but not surprising. But do not think so highly of your raw, undisciplined power that I would require your assistance. I didn't mean, I just thought I should, since I was the one to cause. Uncomfortable, Mr Malfoy. Severus asked, rising to his feet to necessitate Draco doing the same. Take it as a lesson for you in your impressionable youth. Trust can seem as firm and unchanging as the stones of Hogwarts, but only when there is no enemy knocking at the gates or creeping from within. You should not be surprised how, with the slightest pressure, trust can crumble with much more ease than you broke down this wall. Severus took a handful of the dust, far away from their faces to avoid the toxins, and lifted it, before letting it fall through his fingers. After Draco left, he could only stand to give it an hour before checking. When he did, he found that the wards to the potion's classroom, storeroom, and Severus's chambers had all been closed to him. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin by Star Bridget, part two of the Mirror of Isidaru series.